Well, it is uh, the Sunday before Christmas, which means time is running out. So what to get that special someone? Never fear. Scott is here with our annual, somewhat annual look at the Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog. If you are new to our church, this has become an annual tradition where we look at what Neiman Marcus has to offer, but you should know this, it will cost you. I looked it up. First time I did this was 2000, 15 years ago. In fact, the premium gift that year was a transatlantic luxury, you're going to notice that word over and over, luxury submarine that sleeps 11. You had to go 1,000 feet below sea level, but you had to call for the price. So I did. <laughs> Mary Jo answered my phone. I asked her if she really had them. She said, yeah. And I said, how many could I get? She said, as many as you want, sir. And I said, how much? She said, it'll cost you a cool $20 million. I said, no, thanks. And so I, I, I did do some research and found that um, they actually didn't sell any of those that year, but it's kind of interesting. That was 2000, the very next year after 9-11, Neiman Marcus did get a phone call from intelligence agency asking, did you sell any of those? You can imagine why they wanted to know. And then you can imagine my disappointment to look at the 2015 Neiman Marcus book and find that the premium gift this year is a trip for two to India, uh, and total cost $400,000. That's cheap. For, I, I thought about it for you, sweetheart, but I thought, no, it's, that's all right. That's just, that's just, that's too cheap. But so I looked through the rest of the, I looked through the rest of the, of the, of the, uh, the, the gifts and I did select a couple that I decided that I would share um, with you. And so if it's kind of getting late, I let you know that you can go to their website and still order today from a dizzying array of selections. First, how about a new motorcycle? But not just any motorcycle. It is billed as an experience. The catalog describes it as follows. What happens when a movie star with a passion for motorcycles walks into the shop of an acclaimed custom bike builder? They create the bike of your dreams and uh, of their dreams and yours. Keanu Reeves and Guard Hollinger Makeup Arch Motorcycle Company and the KRGT1, definitely born to be ridden, they say. This limited edition comes with custom race-inspired trim, performance suspension, and they say the best for last. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. An exclusive two-day ride uh, for you and a guest along the California coast with Keanu Reeves. You're not as excited as I was. Price, $150,000. But you do get to keep the motorcycle. Okay, second, and this happened to be my personal favorite. How about a ride in a balloon to the very edge of space? No, no, that's right. This two-part adventure begins in 2016 with a behind-the-scenes invitation to Worldview. That's the name of the company. Uh, test, to, to watch their test flight, uh, Tucson, Arizona is home for three nights you will spend your days with the flight's chase and recovery team, but then in 2017, two years from now, you and five companions, that's six of you with two 
pilots. That's a total of eight. We'll experience 360-degree views of Earth as a high-altitude balloon. List your, here it is, luxury pressurized capsule. Now look at the picture. That little thing on the bottom, that very little thing, is the luxury capsule. But you should know you don't get to keep it. And it will lift you 100,000 feet above our planet. Flight time is estimated to be six hours. Cost $90,000. It's a steal. Did the math for you? That's $250 a minute. And remember, you don't get to keep the capsule. Here was my question as I looked at that. How do you, how do you get that thing down? <laughs> After you go 100,000 feet in the air, I suppose someone carries a really big pin. <laughs> Actually, I, I was so intrigued, I watched the video. Apparently, what they do is they... You see that, little, see that little thing above the capsule? That's actually a huge parasol, a huge um, parachute. And apparently they let air out, and after you descend a certain amount, they disengage from the balloon and just f float to the earth. Okay, how many of you, come on, how many of you would do that? You liars. <laughs> you don't get the capsule. Okay, frivolity aside, if you could sit on Santa's knee and have anything you wanted for Christmas, what would it be? Submarine? You know, motorcycle? Keanu Reeves? Reeves? Um, spaceship? Better if you could fall to your knees and ask Jesus for anything, what would it be? You see, we're going to continue in our study of the gospel of Mark this morning because we're going to find that well, this man approaches Jesus and falls to his knees and asks, well, he asks for something quite special. And, and this story actually becomes a beautiful, a beautiful picture, a beautiful illustra illustration of our greatest need. Look at, at it with me. It's in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says this, and a leper, stop right there. If you want to, you can read that zombie you see, in a little while, we're going to read a description of someone who had leper, and you will swear we are reading about zombies. And in fact, early rabbinic literature referred to those with leprosy as the dead walking, the walking dead, not unlike us when we came to Christ. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching, begging, pleading with him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing. That's the question we all want to know, right? Isn't that the question you want to know? Jesus, are you willing? Can you do something about my condition? If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be clean, cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him and immediately sent him away, said to him, see that you say 
nothing to anyone. Now, you need to understand it. A double negative in English is improper, but a double negative in the Greek is actually used for emphasis, and that's what is used here. Say nothing to no one is literally what it says. He's being, he's being serious. Say nothing to no one. Go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. To who? And he, but he went out, the man went out and began to proclaim, preach. He, he preached it freely and to spread the news around to such, an ex, to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they, were, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Who's they? If you could ask Jesus for anything for Christmas, what would it be? You see, this man knew there was something more valuable than submarines and motorcycles and space balloons. He, he recognized that his greatest need was a touch from Jesus that would make him clean. And I'm convinced that there are some of you here this morning whose greatest need is a, is a touch from Jesus. It's interesting to note that in these verses, and in fact, in all of the stories of lepers being healed throughout the gospel narratives, they don't use the word healed. They, they, they use the word cleansed. In fact, it's used four times in these uh, five or six verses because they, they were not only sick, but because of this particular sickness, they were unclean socially, religiously, unclean. And they were therefore ostracized from the religious. And it makes me wonder, who are those that the religious, who are those we ostracize today? As you read through the Gospels, uh, you discover that Jesus was always giving gifts uh, in, in the form of these miracles, healing people and giving the, them the gift of, of, of health, driving out demons and giving them the, the gift of, of freedom, uh, uh, feeding people, giving them the gift of, of food and raising them from the dead, giving them the gift of life. And I would suggest that he gives this leper everything. John says in John chapter 20 that if all of the miracles Jesus did were written down, he didn't suppose that all of the books in the world would could condemn them. In other words, Jesus did lots of these gift-giving miracles. But, but as you read through the four Gospels, we, we find that they were apparently the, the favorites, the ones that everyone told, like feeding the 5,000, all four Gospels, uh, the healing of the paralytic, three Gospels, calming uh, storms, raising the dead, healing lepers. They appear several times, and, and as we read them, we might be tempted to, to think, oh, yeah, I just read this over in Matthew, or I just read this in, in Luke, and so we might be tempted to just kind of skim over it. But Mark, as well as the other gospel authors, had reasons for choosing the miracles that they chose, as well as placing them where they place them. For example, do you know that this particular story, this healing of this particular leper does not appear in Matthew until chapter 8? Why does Mark place it in chapter 1? 
I believe he does so, as do all the gospel writers, because there are messages in the miracles. The reason that Mark chose these miracles and placed them right here is that he wants us to know, make no mistake about it, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God. Jesus proves it, we've seen it, with his authority, his authority over demons, right? He's casting them out everywhere, over every kind of sickness there is, over, over sin in the next chapter. But this sickness, even the dreaded unclean disease of leprosy, you see, this, at this time, being healed of leprosy was like being raised from the dead. Again, with leprosy, they were seen as living, walking dead people. And there was no cure. And so what do we, what, what do, we do? We just, we, just, we just ostracize them. We just we force them out. This is an amazing miracle. Not unlike the one that he's performed in your life. I do want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus did lots of miracles, meaning the crowds which came to follow him were who? Who were these people in the last verse there? They were coming to him from everywhere. Who were those people? Oh, they were the sick, they were the possessed, they were the the broken people of society. They were the marginalized, indeed the lepers, the untouchables of society. Now, I, I find that incredibly interesting. I know that Christianity has become somewhat more acceptable today, and certainly in our culture, but understand that it was not always so. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, and he, He's saying you can enter through repentance and faith and those that you would expect to enter, you know, the, the religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, truth is they rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, this story becomes a bit of a, of a transition to the opposition that we're going to see begin mounting against Jesus. Those entering the kingdom, well, they were the sick. The, the lame, the lepers, the possessed, the, the broken. And, and we've already seen Jesus heal all of them. Can, can you imagine that? No wonder they were, they were coming to him. They had, they had great need. And so like Santa dispensing gifts, they go out to the wilderness to get, to get their need met. And the truth is, you have great, you have great need. If you could ask him for anything, what would it be? Are, are there things that are more important, perhaps, than whatever you have wrapped under the tree? Through these miracles, there is this one message that is ringing loud and clear. Again, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Indeed, he is God in the flesh. He, he's, he is doing things that only God can, can do. He's exercising authority over disease and demons and nature and death. In the next chapter, he's going to exercise authority over sin. You see, these are only things that, that God can do. But there's another message that we learn from these miracles. Jesus cares about the broken and marginalized people of society. 
look at who he heals. This is the third of four miracles in this section that we're looking at. And look at the ones he heals. He heals a woman, not very well esteemed in this society, a, a, a leper, a, a, a paralyzed demon possessed. He seems to have a special place in his heart for people like tax collectors and your general run-of-the-mill pagans and Gentiles. He cares about them. He cares about broken people. And notice he cares about the, both their spiritual and their physical needs. He, he cares whether or not they had leprosy, whether or not they were paralyzed or sick in bed with a fever or demon possess or in a boat getting ready to drown or, or maybe dealing with an issue of blood that had been there for 12 years. He cares whether or not they were dead. He cares whether or not you are. He cares about spiritual and physical needs and comes to meet us where we are. He cares, I'm going to say to you this morning, he cares whether or not you have a curable or an incurable disease. He cares whether or not you have a cold or, or cancer. He cares about whether you are demon-oppressed or demon-possessed. He cares about your, your sins, and He wants to forgive them. Jesus cares about both your physical and your spiritual needs and is ready to meet you where you are. That's a message in these miracles that we need to hear. That's a message in these miracles that... Some of you need to hear this morning that you need to be reminded of no matter what you are struggling with, no matter what you are facing, Jesus knows where you are and He cares. The, the message in these miracles says that Jesus responds to human suffering and pain. He's not a God who's so big that He only cares about the big important things of the universe or even the big important things of our planet, you know, like, I don't know, the White House or the Congress or or a war going on in the Middle East. He cares about the war that might be raging in your own home, maybe in your own soul, maybe in your own body. And he is powerful enough to do something about it. The message in, these, in the miracle today says that Jesus is the Son of God. He cares, and he is willing to meet you where you are even when the rest of the world has written you off. Some of you are hurting today, and you need to be reminded that Jesus is willing to move into your pain and your suffering. While people, even well-intentioned people, some people who call themselves our friends and maybe even family, seem to move away in times of conflict and pain and suffering and sorrow, Jesus is ready to move right into the midst of that if you will let him. Breakdown of the text is really quite simple. It goes like this. We're going to see the request of the leper, the response of Jesus. We'll spend most of our time in those first two points, the command of Jesus, and then the response of the leper. Let's begin with that request of this leper. Verse 40 says, and the leper came to Jesus. Again, we need to stop right there because this is highly significant. You see, if you were there that particular day, if you were walking by Jesus, if you were part of this crowd that was coming out to see him, you would have been shocked. You see, the Talmud, which is a, a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, said that you were not allowed, one place says closer than six feet, another says closer than 50 feet, regardless if the wind was blowing no closer than 150 feet to, to a lever. 
when they walked down the street, they were required to yell unclean so that people could and, in fact, would steer clear. But this leper came to Jesus. You have to understand something about this world in which Jesus came. It's most unlike our world. Jesus, uh, excuse me, sickness was terrifying. And it was a culture rampant with sickness. Little medicine, little medical knowledge as to what to do about sickness. Medicines and doctors that we take so often for granted, they did not have. Illnesses that may cause us to miss a day or maybe even a week of work, maybe even have to require some surgery for them would likely be fatal. If you got sick, you had to let the sickness run its course or, and you would get better or you would get worse. You may end up scarred, crippled, deformed, blind, deaf, or dead. Most assuredly, whether or not it was fatal, it often caused great suffering and pain for which there was little remedy. Diseases affecting people this time included paralysis, we'll see next week, atrophy, no cures, frequently read of blindness and deafness, rampant because of the countless forms of disease and infection and injury. Nothing could restore sight. Nothing could restore loss of hearing. Those losses you see were permanent. We read of things like boils and infected glands and various forms of edema and dysentery and speech disorders and epilepsy and intestinal disorders. And if this is grossing you out, it should. Tumors and ulcers and bleeding that they didn't know how to stop. Host of other problems. Lots of diseases. The list was long. Life expectancy was short. But without doubt, without doubt, the most dreaded of all diseases, the most dreaded was leprosy. It is true that the Old Testament speaks of many different skin diseases under the umbrella of leprosy, but leprosy as we know it, we call it Hansen's disease, was one of them. Scribes suggest that there are some 72 different skin diseases, but actual leprosy existed and was second only to being dead in its uncleanness. Leprosy was the most feared in society because of the physical, social, and spiritual ramifications of the disease. Physically, it did several things. It attacked the central nervous system, killing the nerve endings, which is why many have lost their appendages. They rub or scratch or break them off without even knowing it. Not only that, it attacks the bone marrow and the blood of a person so that the bones begin to shrivel up. Other manifestations include oozing sores, losing your teeth, going blind, And you should know this, I've said it, it was absolutely incurable. But in addition to those very awful physical ramifications, there there were the social stigmas attached to it as well. Anyone with leprosy was an outcast. And you can see why. It was a socially disgusting disease. Who would want to be around it? You would not invite them to your home. You, You and your home would then become unclean. Nobody wanted to be around a leper. They were required to live outside the city gates in communities by themselves. In his book entitled Unclean, Unclean, L.S. Heisinger describes some of the horrors of leprosy. The disease which we today call leprosy, Henson's disease, generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows soon. The skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, gross, uh, glo- uh, glossy, scaly. 
as the sickness progresses, the, thick, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch in deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, no one can see... Uh, by this time, one can see that the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in it view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell a leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And because of that, there were laws governing lepers, which led to this social stigma of the disease. Leviticus 13 tells us that if a person was found to have leprosy, his clothes were to be torn, his head uncovered, his mouth covered. As I said earlier, he would then cry out, unclean, unclean, as he walked down the streets. Because lepers were legally ostracized and forbidden to live in any community with fellow Israelites, there was no cure. The only treatment you see then was quarantine. It was not only debilitating, it was defiling. The, le- the leper was ceremonially unclean, cut off from both the religious and social life of the community to include, to include his or her own family. How did the religious... How did the religious treat lepers? One ancient rabbi said, when I see lepers, I throw stones at them lest they come near to me. Nice. Another said, I would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased on a street where a leper had walked. Not only did people avoid lepers, they despised lepers. It was a lonely, miserable life. And this is the kind of man who came to Jesus, bowed down before him and said, if you are willing... You can make me clean. He had somehow heard the stories. He knew that this was a miracle worker. He was desperate. And he comes and he says, Jesus, you are my only hope. Don't miss the expression of faith here. I believe that you can. I believe that you can heal me. Will will you? Somewhere along the way, he quit caring about what other people thought as he would approach Jesus. He quit caring about what people would say and maybe even what they would do to him. He made his way to Jesus and said, I don't care what others think. I don't care what they might do except for a touch from you. I am without hope. Jesus, you are my only hope. You're all I've got. This, you see, I believe is a cry of a broken person. Jesus, I'm I'm dead, and without your touch, I will remain so. You are my only hope. And this kind of brokenness, when you come to Christ with this kind of brokenness, guess what you get? You get the blessings of the kingdom. Brings us to the response of Jesus, verses 41 and 42. Of course, we know that he healed the man completely, instantly. Everything that I just talked about for pages uh, having to do with leprosy, the decaying, mutilated flesh. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Those shriveled up bones. He was instantly and completely restored. The man stood before Jesus. Oh. But don't miss this. And what I... 
suggests we should be moved by is that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Can you believe that? I mean, it is amazing enough that this man had the courage to come close, to come within the, the barrier imposed upon him by society. It was amazing that he had the faith to bow down and seek healing. He knew somehow that Jesus was this miracle worker. Maybe, maybe, just maybe Jesus would heal him. But we read that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You didn't do that. Do you realize this may be the first time in years that this man had been touched by another human hand? He could have just spoken and healed the man. He, he did that all the time. He didn't even have to be present. But the truth is this physical healing was not all this man needed. And, and I get to the point of the message and it may be that you are here today and physical healing is not your greatest need. You need to be touched by Jesus and receive emotional and spiritual healing as well. And I want to say to you that he is willing. Jesus reached out, touched him. I want to suggest that that physical touch was perhaps as meaningful as the healing itself. Jesus touched him. Because he cares. Because he loved the man. And when all of society were, was repulsed by him. Maybe as your little society has told you how repulsive you are. There is one who loves you. I want you to think about this for just a minute. I just want to take a little aside. Who are the undesirables in our society today? For example, what diseases have a social stigma attached to them that cause people to stay away, especially religious people? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Certainly the first one that comes to mind is AIDS. The very... Uh, the way that many of you, frankly, think of AIDS is exactly the same way that people thought of leprosy back then. You see, leprosy, get this, was analogous throughout the Scripture, was analogous to sin. And any person who had leprosy, leprosy had sin all over them. Anybody who had leprosy probably deserved it. And I would have you understand this morning that your sickness, whatever it may or may not be, is the result of sin. So what social stigmas are attached to broken people? What social stigmas are attached to broken people that keep you away? That truly religious people would have nothing to do with. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. I, have I had written this in to my sermon, and then I read it this morning, and I deleted it. And now I'm putting it back in. What kind of person do, do you look at that causes you to stay away? Maybe if, maybe if they are of a different nationality or a different color. Maybe if they're wearing a hijab. Maybe if they look Middle Eastern. Maybe if they look Muslim. Maybe if they are Muslim. 
What if they're refugees? What if they're Syrian refugees? I don't get into I don't get into the politics of Facebook, but I've read yours. I understand that there is a governmental response that, that should be expressed. We should understand that our governors, our governmental leaders have a responsibility to protect us. I get that, and I'm going to allow them to do that. But can I say to you that Christian leaders have no place to voice the vitriol that is being, that is being um, voiced against Muslim people. Our, our response ought, ought to be not let a Muslim come here and we will teach them a lesson. But our response ought to be let a Muslim come here and we will show them the gospel. This is the individual response, you see, of believers. How, what is our response toward all of this that we see going on? Is it one of fear? That's ultimately what this response is. Is it a result of fear? Again, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting into the politics of this raging debate. I'm talking about me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want to have fear keep me from reaching someone with a social stigma attached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that the gospel reached you? I know I've offended some of you because I've read your Facebook pages. So I'll move on. This, I believe, is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus reached out and touched the leper, ostracized. Heal the man, extended grace and healing to someone the rest of society would not even give the time of day to. There are people out there in our very own community who are longing for a touch. People with emotional, emotional spiritual, and physical leprosy who just need someone to reach out and touch them with grace and compassion and the healing of Christ. Wounded people, scared people, broken people, they need a healing touch, and we are in just the place to give it. This leper comes, he knows, he bows in Jesus' presence, dead and decaying on the outside, not looking very clean, in fact, looking fairly disgusting, and Jesus says, here, receive the blessings of the kingdom, the ones that I came to bring are yours. Because he came to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're my only hope. I, I, I don't have anyone else to whom I can turn. He was desperate, bowing in reverence, in humility. Lord, if you are willing, and Jesus was willing. And just like he is with you. At this point, let's very quickly look at Jesus' command to the, the, this now former leper and the man's response. Jesus told him very sternly, the, the language is strong. Don't tell anyone about this. Go to the priest. Some discussion about whether or not he was telling him to go to Jerusalem and the temple and offer a sacrifice as Moses commanded for your cleansing. The procedure spelled out in Leviticus 13, 14. You offer a sacrifice according to your means. If you had the means, you brought, this is significant, you brought three lambs for this healing. But if you didn't, a single lamb and a couple of birds will be fine. 
offered according to your means as a sacrifice of thanksgiving and as a testimony to them. To, to whom? Very likely this is a subtle shift in the narrative. This healing will be a testimony to the religious elite who will begin opposing Jesus in the very next chapter and seek to kill him in the chapter after that. But verse 45, the man went out and proclaimed freely to everyone what Jesus had done. Lots of discussion, in fact, argument about this. Did this man go to the priest? Doesn't say. Don't know. Was he wrong in spreading the news? Some say yes. He directly disobeyed Jesus. Others say when Jesus touches you, you can't help but preach the good news. I, I don't I don't know. I will say it does appear that as a result of his actions, as a result of his, well, disobedience, Jesus was unable to go to the cities. The crowds were too big and unruly. This was the reason, you see, for that messianic secret. It was not time for his fame to be made known. So as I close, I want to say to you this morning that this is what some of you need today. Some of you need to recognize the disease, the leprosy in your own life. As I said earlier, the Bible frequently uses leprosy as an analogy for sin. People standing around this leper that day would have equated his leprosy with sin. He's a horrible, rotten sinner. And some of you are carrying around sin, even though people may not know about it, that is every bit as disgusting and vile and foul as leprosy. And it contaminates everything that you touch. And it is a stench. And, and like leprosy, it is absolutely incurable. There is nothing you can do about it to remove it from yourself. You've tried, haven't you? And it hasn't worked. There is nothing that will help you except a touch from Christ. And I would suggest to you this morning that he wants to do just that. He wants to reach out his hand and, and touch you, to heal you, forgive you. Jesus stands prepared to make you whole. He will cleanse you today. He will do it immediately. Right now, if you are willing and you seek his cleansing, he will do it. Last thing I will say is this. In the culture of this particular day, if you touched something or someone that was unclean, person with leprosy or or even his article of clothing, or a dead body, then you became unclean. Touch something unclean, you become unclean. <laughs> you were then quarantined. You had to go through some ritual cleansing. You had to present sacrifices. This is why, again, you didn't touch lepers. You didn't touch dead people. You would become unclean. And yet here Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. Don't miss that. Here is the difference. Jesus switched things around. When Jesus, Jesus touched this man, Jesus did not become unclean. The man became clean. And that is exactly what he will do for you if you will let him. He will touch you and, and make you clean. This is the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to take our sin, to be sin for us, so that we might be made clean, that we might 
be made the righteousness of God in him. He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to touch you and to cleanse you if you are willing. He's willing. Are you?